My name is Anthony Fatsis and welcome to the What The Finance podcast, where we interview finance, trading, investing experts to help you understand current market trends and learn about the intricacies of new and existing assets. You know, the things are not probably as bad as a lot of people have made them out to be. I think there's more room you know, to run, certainly in the next few months, uh, for equities and for kind of the cyclical side of the equity market uh, in general. Um, and that applies regionally too. I think some of the ex-US markets like Europe uh, still look better uh, because they're they're you know more better exposed there and, and, and seeing improvement. So uh, so yeah, so I'd say um, you know focus on the the cyclical side of things. You know, uh, and don't be afraid to to own a little risk here now. Welcome to What the Finance. My name is Anthony Fatsis and I'm the founder of What the Finance. So it seems as if day by day a new piece of data is released which changes the narrative and sways the direction that the rest of the year will go. I'm happy to be hosting Sam Burns, founder and chief strategist at Mill Street Research, to talk further about this and his thoughts about what's currently happening in the market. So Sam, thanks for joining the podcast today. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. No problem. So I guess what are your current thoughts on the markets? Nice and simple to start. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, and it's interesting. Um, having done a few of these interviews and watched the news, uh, I'm actually more bullish now than I have been in probably a year or more. Um, most of the indicators that I will look at for kind of at least a one to three month horizon are, are pretty positive right now, actually. And I think what we're seeing is a, as a sort of reversal of a lot of the heavy pessimism that got built up all last year, and I think that may have somewhat further to go. So I think if if things are sort of less bad than expected. That's a you know that's a reason for markets to to do better, and then they certainly have started off the year on a more positive note. Yeah, definitely. And there was a really interesting quote that I saw. Uh, you sort of, as, as I said, your uh, chief strategist in Mill Street Research and release. I think it's uh, every week you re- release uh, research. And one of the quotes within one of those was that it, it said that history suggests that sentiment extremes tend to reverse in the intermediate term as bad news gets priced in and any signs of good news can provoke rebounds in sentiment and prices. And I guess you could say that's exactly what we've seen. We've seen, you know, even though it's just a little bit of good news, it's causes massive spike in prices that we've seen over, the, you know, since the start of the year. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, you have to look at everything in the markets in the lens of what's priced in, what's the consensus, and then what's going to change relative to that consensus. So you don't necessarily have to assume that, you know, everything's going to be fantastic um, and uh, to, to get bullish if everyone else is already very pessimistic and assuming the worst, then something less bad than expected is is definitely is enough to uh, to provoke a, a rally and and certainly you know, some of the short covering things that we've seen you know this year so far, and uh, a lot of that has been driven by a change in perception uh, towards the Fed um, and that maybe the economy is not going to be you know as bad as expected. There's not maybe we dodge a recession, we just get some slow growth, and same thing is true in Europe. Uh, there was, you know, very widespread pessimism towards the Euro- European economy all last year, uh, particularly towards the end of the year. And now, you know, again, not great, but maybe not as bad as expected. Maybe the energy, you know, issues will will not be as bad as expected, and that's uh, and that's enough. Um, and so, I think having seen everybody get very pessimistic for for quite a while after a really rough year last year, uh, we're starting to see uh, that that reversal take place now, and there's probably a little more for that to go. Yeah, it's really interesting. So I guess you mentioned in the intermediate term, as you said, you're, you're quite bullish and you sort of follow these few indicators. Can you maybe talk more about those and why they're sort of suggesting that maybe markets are better than everyone was thinking? Right. So, you know, part of it is, um, you know, certainly the, the Fed, one of the indicators I look at is just looking at, you know, where two-year U.S. Treasury yields are 
relative to uh, three-month bill yields, which which generally track the Fed funds rate pretty closely. And, you know, those have been pricing in not just fewer rate hikes, but actually starting to price in rate cuts, you know, within the next, say, 12 to 18 months. And typically, that's a good sign when, the you know, people are expecting rate cuts to happen. Uh, that's, you know, a bullish sign for, for equities. And, of course, the, la- the latest uh, FOMC meeting uh, last week, uh, gave the bulls a little more room to run uh, because uh, Fed Chair Powell was focused more on the disinflationary story and didn't push back against the markets rallies recently and the bond yields coming down like he had uh, in a lot of the press conferences you know last year. So if you think the Fed has gone from a headwind to at least maybe neutral, maybe you get another quarter point hike or two, but after 450 basis points of hikes so far, that's not that big a deal you know in in, in context. And if you think that's probably the end of it, and then maybe you know they bring rates back down you know, late this year, early next, you know again that's that's a pretty good sign. Then you also have things like um, you know industrial metals prices looking better, copper and things like that, uh, as China started to reopen. So one of the indicators I look at looks at industrial metals relative to say precious metals, which are more of the kind of the risk off trade, and they've been looking better. So if China's maybe doing a little better now. Europe maybe is looking better than expected. Uh, the Fed maybe is going to slow down uh, shortly, um, and you've got you know earnings that are not growing much but are sort of stable at least uh, in the U.S. Then you know that doesn't look too bad. That's not a, a, a severely negative uh, scenario. That's just sort of a slow growth and uh, uh, you know kind of end of the Fed tightening cycle scenario. And that's you know wasn't was what was priced in late last year. So now we've seen the market you know momentum improve. So the, the measures of risk appetite, uh, you know, looking at the high higher beta stocks have been outperforming lately. Uh, you know, overall momentum has been rising, volatility has been falling. Those are all good signs to show that you know the market is in fact responding to these kind of macro factors and and, and acting better. So we've broken out of some of the uh, you know the ranges we've been in um, and and seen better risk appetite across a number of metrics, including credit. So credit spreads have come down. So people are not, you know, pushing up uh, credit spreads on on high yield or uh, investment grade bonds uh, in anticipation of a recession. So again, that's a kind of a cross asset view uh, of, of better risk appetite. So all those things kind of tie into the indicators I look at on that kind of you know one to three month horizon, and they're all looking much better than they did you know most of last year. Yeah, it's really interesting. So yeah, and I think one key thing you mentioned there was credit, and it seems like that's probably one of the most bullish aspects of it. So from my understanding, when reading it, it's the uh, spread between, I guess, company credit and uh, sort of government bonds. Is that correct? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, the premium you have to pay to uh, you know for people to buy you know uh, corporate bonds rather than safe treasury debt uh, has been narrowing. It got pretty wide last year and has been narrowing. And that, you know, the direction is what's important. Uh, it's whether it's, you know, going up or going down, and it's been going down. And that's uh, a good you know, sign that uh, that credit investors are not worried about credit quality so much now, and that uh, equity investors then sort of uh, can take that as a sign that, uh, you know, that, you know, uh, corporate profitability is not going to be a, a major issue, uh, you know, potentially this year. So, uh, so that's a good sign relative, again, to what people were expecting uh, late last year. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's crazy to think everyone was so bearish and now, now look where we are. Uh, so if you look past three three months, so maybe uh, sort of three, six, 12 months potentially, uh, do you have any insights into, I guess, what the markets could do there or are there indicators that you're currently watching that can give you an insight into that? Yeah, I think, you know, the the overall picture is probably going to, you know, over the next, say, you know, year or two, will probably shift back closer to what it was pre-COVID, Assuming we don't have any other major global catastrophes, 
um, that, that act as shocks. Um, I think that you know the, the long run trend is is back to sort of slow growth um, and lower interest rates, and uh, you know the, the you know sort of pre-COVID kind of conditions for the most part. Um, I think you know the, the long-term dem- demographics, uh, you know, technology, um, you know, policy, all that kind of stuff will tend to sort of drift slowly back towards you know where it was uh, once we've kind of gotten past a lot of these the, the shocks from you know COVID and the stimulus that came after COVID, and then you know uh, Russia and China and uh, and all those things that have happened in the last couple three years. Um, those have been big shocks we've had to deal with, and so in the absence of further large shocks like that. I think we would we'll probably go back to something closer to what we had pre-COVID. Now, you know, over the next 12 to 18 months, maybe that means we're in a kind of a broad trading range in equities. Uh, or, you know, maybe we make a nominal new high or we get to the upper end of the range and then pull back. And and so you have kind of a, a slow grind higher or, or kind of a, a big broad trading range for a while, which would, you know, be less exciting for equity investors uh, overall, but not the end of the world. Um, but I think if, uh, as long as there are no major policy mistakes, by either the fiscal policy or or monetary policy, and you don't have any other major you know global shock like COVID, then I think that's kind of the direction you'll be going. I think there's a bit more room for for equities to to rally and bond yields to come down a bit over the next year or two, um, but then after that it'll be kind of the you know back and forth you know choppy grind higher um, as we get back to kind of slow growth, low inflation, lower interest rates, uh, that kind of condition. Yeah, so back to I guess lower volatility uh, as we saw during that period as well. Right. Yeah, that's, that's amazing because I think a lot of people have been, I don't know if they're hoping or they've been saying that we're sort of going to experience a secular shift of, uh, you know, low interest rates are over. We're going to go into, you know, increased inflation and high interest rates for longer. So you don't see any trends that could, uh, you know, or things that could occur. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's certainly possible. Um, but I think a lot of the long term trends that had been pushing inflation lower and interest rates lower are kind of still there. They're just in the background. They've gotten completely overwhelmed by all the, uh, you know, the effects of COVID and everything and Russia and everything else that's happened. So, um, you know, as long as, you know, like I say, there's no more major disruptions to global energy supplies or, uh, you know, major global health issues or things like that, then I think those those factors that were driving things before, you know, aren't haven't gone away. Um, and so the, you know, the technology and productivity is still still ongoing, and that's a naturally you know, inherently disinflationary force. Um, and so as long as nothing disrupts that in, in a really major global way, um, then I think, yeah, you, you kind of go back to where kind of we were just because you know, demographics, population growth is still quite low in most of the developed world and China and Russia and you know, a lot of places outside of uh, some of the de- more developing countries. And so I think that's, you know, kind of the backdrop you're in, uh, you know, populations are aging, uh, that increases demand for fixed income and, and kind of slows general growth overall. Um, so I think all those things combined will tend to kind of on the, over the longer run, push you back toward those conditions we saw before, unless there's major, uh, you know, policy changes. If, if fiscal policy becomes much more stimulative over the longer term than it's been for a long time, then, you know, that would change things. Um, basically money printing at the fiscal level. Um, but I don't really see that happening. Um, you know, we got that with COVID as a response to a crisis, but certainly now in the U.S. with the, you know, the Congress being split now, we're not going to get any major, you know, new fiscal initiatives probably for a while. Um, I would be surprised if there was anything, you know, of a major magnitude in Europe. Um, China will probably try, but they're struggling against a big real estate bubble and, and demographic issues as well. 
Um, so my guess is that um, absent, again, a big supply shock, um, the demand side is not going to be there um, over the longer terms, the next five years, to produce the kind of long-term secular inflation um, that people, some people have talked about. I've certainly seen some of the same things that probably you have uh, about that sort of you know, super cycle trend in, in inflation commodities, something like the 70s, uh, 60s and 70s. And I don't really see that. I see this as more of you know, the kind of like after World War II, after the Korean War, you had a big burst of kind of inflation as things got back to normal after a, a big war and a big disruption um, after a couple of years. And then things kind of went back to normal, kind of lower inflation, you know, uh, uh, kind, of, kind of conditions. And I think that's probably closer to what we'll have uh, over the next few years. Yeah. And then a Japanification basically of uh, Western economies. Right. Right. Something closer to that. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. So I guess you've sort of been implying it, but would you say that I guess in the short term we've probably uh, had a bottom in the mar- in the U.S. equity markets at least, unless there's that massive uh, shock. Mark to bottom, you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think probably the, the lows from late last year will hold. Um, you know, we could have another leg down at some point. Um, you know, if if it looks like the Fed may you know have to be a little more hawkish than expected, or earnings turn out weaker than expected, but I think we'll probably that that low last year will be uh, the low for a while, and then the peak from January last year will probably you know be the cap for a little while. Um, so I think we're going to be in this big wide trading range, uh, kind of you know moving back and forth and kind of grinding higher uh, for for a little while longer um, as things kind of investors adapt to kind of back to closer to what we you know thought was normal you know pre-covid um that process may take a while certainly things like the labor market in the u.s haven't fully recovered and adapted to uh to get back to where they were uh whereas you know supply chains for goods and things have um and so as these things and the data has been very volatile and hard to, to figure out uh all the economic data has been very you know kind of skewed and doesn't hasn't behaved like a typical cycle um, so that's why the, the risk of policy mistakes is arguably higher now. If you misinterpret the data um, and, and look at something, you know, incorrectly, you might, you know, overcorrect in terms of policy. Um, I think we might avoid that. There's still a risk of that to some degree. But I think that, you know, the Fed will at some point realize that, um, you know, 5% raise probably won't be necessary um, by the time we get to mid-year and the the reported inflation rates come down closer to kind of 2 2.5%. Which is where they've been the last six months. So I think all that kind of stuff will, will continue to shift um, over the next year or so. Uh, but it'll be a it'll be a process. You know, we won't be a straight line up or down. Uh, but I think yeah, the, the lows from last year will hold. Yeah, really interesting. So uh, I guess if we look at since the eighties, it's been quite a good trade, and I'm pretty sure I've got this the right way around to uh, long bonds. Uh, because normally uh, the yields go down and the price goes up. So do you think that's sort of going to be another potential good trade in, I guess, the coming years? Yeah, I would I would be surprised if you saw long-term bond yields go much above where they were, you know, late last year. Um and because I don't think I don't think the Fed policy is going to push it that far and we've already seen the you know the inverted yield curve telling you know, the market telling the Fed that the market thinks you know rates are already too high and they're probably going to have to come down and even the Fed's long-term forecast for for policy rates um is that they published is about 2.5% so that's where they think we should, you know, wind up over the next say three to five years. You know, steady state is is somewhere around there. So if you if you take that roughly as kind of the right rough level, then yeah, you would see bond yields, you know, hover here or or, or drift lower uh, rather than go higher. 
So that would means that you could, you know, you could own bonds and do okay um, rather than, you know, expecting another big leg up in yield, which would then, you know, raise the risk of bonds. So, so yeah, I think the demand for fixed income is still there. I think policy won't be the driver to push rates, um, you know, much above where they were. And, you know, most likely they'll probably, you know, come down over the next, say, you know, year or two as we get closer to kind of normal uh, inflation rates and normal growth rates. Yeah, interesting. So you mentioned earnings, uh, I think at the start of the interview and you're saying sort of they weren't as bad as people thought. So I guess if we look at a few examples just off the top of my head, Apple sort of just missed and I guess Amazon missed as well. So do you think that it was the fact that they didn't miss, it wasn't a, a catastrophe basically, they missed but it wasn't that bad that why we haven't seen market reaction? Right, exactly. Yeah, we had some what looked like bad news from some of these big mega cap companies and markets, you know, kind of got over it. Um, and I think to some degree, you know, analysts have been lowering estimates for a lot of those, those names you mentioned, Apple and Amazon and so forth for months. Um, and they may still continue to do so. But, you know, even the analyst behavior that I that I track pretty closely has gotten pretty negative. They've been cutting estimates for a while. They've been customized very broadly across a lot of different kinds of stocks, but particularly in the big tech and kind of tech related names that were the leaders previously uh, for, for a long time and certainly post just immediately post COVID. Um, a lot of those companies, you know, overhired, uh, they got, you know, a lot of benefit from the work from home trend and everything else right after COVID. And now they're having to kind of correct and, you know, get back to, you know, something more uh, kind of a normal uh, trend for themselves. And so, uh, you know, other areas of the economy are you know, maybe picking it up a little bit, um, you know, maybe it would be financials or industrials, some of the consumer discretionary areas uh, are looking better uh, in my work. So uh, I think there's been a rotation rather than a full-scale, you know, meltdown in earnings overall. And, you know, the, the, you know, profit margins for U.S. companies were very high, certainly for the large caps, um, you know, in 21, 21, and 22, um, and probably were not sustainably high. So they're coming, really the factor that's coming down is the profit margins. Uh, Top-line revenue is still, you know, holding up okay in, in aggregate. So I think that tells you that, you know, again, it's a part of a return to what would have been normal pre-COVID, both in terms of uh, the economic data, but also in terms of profit margins and, and earnings growth. Um, so uh, that's a process again to be worked through, but it doesn't mean it's you know the end of the world. And 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 investors are now starting to look ahead and see, okay, you know the numbers have been brought down quite a bit. Some of these companies are already starting to lay people off and, and you know cut costs. And I think that tells you that they're responding and will you know bring things back to more kind of normal uh, situations where you can get you know, some bit of growth over the next few years. Yeah, interesting. So yeah, I know that if, if I'm not mistaken, you analyze, I think it's uh, analyst estimates or analyst uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, revisions and, and what, what they're thinking. So um, yeah, as you said, it's, it, it did go negative. So do you sort of see a similar thing in the markets where it's sort of when it's peak negative is always when the time when you see that reversals. And I guess maybe what are these analysts mm -hmm. thinking at the moment generally? That's right. That's right. Yeah. One of the things I do look at is is what analysts are doing with their earnings estimates. You know, looking at their their twelve month forward earnings estimates uh, in aggregate, then across sectors and industries, and then at the level of individual stocks. And yeah, we've seen very broad based you know cuts in estimates. Uh, pretty much every sector uh, in the U.S. has been seeing you know some level of estimate cuts on average, um, but with you know varying to varying degrees. And uh, and that tells you that analysts you know, are expecting you know, the Fed tightening and the, the re reduced fiscal stimulus and the slowdowns you know in, in the rest of the world to affect U.S. earnings. 
And but once they've gotten you know to a sufficiently negative kind of posture for a while, um, either things have to get then still worse from there, or things start to mean revert. And that kind of mean reversion in, in, in sentiment is true for both investor behavior uh, that you see in directly in the markets, but also for analysts. And so if you don't think we're going to be in a 2008 or, or 2020 style, you know, severe recessionary kind of crisis, then earning decimate revisions have gotten about as negative as they tend to get outside of major crises. And so the odds are that if we avoid a major crisis, then they're probably going to, you know, start to kind of get less negative. Um, so not to say that earnings are going to suddenly become spectacular, just that they won't be uh, falling at the same rate. And again, that kind of momentum or the second derivative or the, you know, the, the, those inflection points in the, the direction of, of behavior is what really tends to drive markets and, and be the kind of leading indicator. And so we're starting to see that uh, already a little bit in response to the Q4 earnings. Uh, a lot of people were really expecting bad things, and maybe they're just not quite so bad. And maybe if the Fed stops hiking and you know, the job market holds up better than expected. Well, okay, you know, that's 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 not too bad. And earnings might be, you know, okay. Maybe they don't grow this year, but they're not falling off a cliff. And so I think a lot of people are kind of in that fall off a cliff, you know, camp. Um, certainly some of my fellow strategists have been. And uh, and so I think maybe if we avoid that, that's enough to, again, to kind of, you know, boost the market a little bit and to bring analysts back from that kind of very negative posture. Yeah, it's super interesting. So in terms, of, I guess, as you said, it's sort of being, I guess, the uh, indicators have been growing slowly from the start of the year, if I'm not mistaken, going positive, and now they're, they're quite positive. So is that the same trend, say, when it goes negative, or is it faster when it goes negative, or how, how does that work? Yeah, I think they tend to kind of deteriorate faster than they improve. Um, but again, it's, you know, it's trying to look for those inflection points and you know when things are getting when things have been really good and they're getting less good that's usually kind of an early warning sign versus when things have been very bad and they're getting less bad um and so you look at that you know again inequities directly in the major indices and things like that and volatility and you also look at you know cross assets and uh, fixed income and, and commodities to see kind of what's going on there and um you know the commodity prices kind of peaked in in june july last year you know they've been coming down but now we start to see energy prices, you know, weakening. But you know, some of those metals prices picking up, which is which is a, a good configuration. Um, and so, uh, if we saw the reverse happening, we saw energy prices going up, and you know, maybe precious metals prices going up, while you know the copper and the industrial metals that are more growth sensitive going down, that would be a warning sign. Um, so you know, and these things all are naturally cyclical, uh, which is why I tend to look at things on a rolling, you know, one to three, maybe six month basis. And trying to make too many big, you know, long-term forecasts because, you know, you have to adapt to what's what you see, and things can change, you know, quickly. Um, and so, uh, certainly, 2020 was a, an example of a uh, an almost unprecedented, you know, V-shaped movement in equity markets. They, you know, they plunged, everything fell apart, and then the Fed and the federal government showed up and boosted everything with lots of stimulus. And so, you had a, a dramatic reversal. And then you had the, the vaccines come out and provoked a big another big move, but those are sort of exogenous external events that had a major impact, um, but that you know you couldn't really necessarily forecast based on traditional economic indicators and things like that. Um, absent those kind of events, you know these indicators are pretty good about capturing those inflection points. And so yeah, right now we're seeing them moving in the right direction, um, but you know starting in early 2022. 
they were all started to kind of roll over and look at moving in the wrong direction. And I think that's the key is to look at a, a lot of different indicators. One, no, no single indicator is ever going to tell you the full story. And so if you look at uh, the major macro indicators, the earnings estimates are some more bottom-up based, you know, kind of individual company based and put them all together, you get a pretty good picture. And right now it's, it's, it's that kind of coming out of a trough sign that's, uh, that, that's more favorable. Yeah. So top, as you said, top down, bottom up combination, and then that might give you a better insights on what's happened in the market. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You got to merge those two things because sometimes the macro data can throw you off. Sometimes the bottom up data can throw you off, but the two together will usually give you a, a picture. And and as long as you kind of know how the cycles tend to work and, and you know, uh, when to look for inflection points, then, then you can, you can get a lot of information there. Yeah, that's really interesting. So Sam, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. So I, I guess my last question is, what is one message you'd like people to take away from our conversation? Yeah, I think the, the main message from the indicators I look at is that uh, you know, the things are not probably as bad as a lot of people have made them out to be. I think there's more room you know, to run, certainly in the next few months uh, for equities and for kind of the cyclical side of the equity market uh, in general. Um, and that applies regionally too. I think some of the ex-US markets like Europe uh, still look better. Uh, because they're they're you know more better exposed there and and, and seeing improvement, so uh, so yeah. So I would say um, you know focus on the the cyclical side of things. You know, uh, and don't be afraid to to own a little risk here now. And uh, and but you know but but be careful for policy mistakes going down the line. Yeah, uh, that's great. So Sam, thanks again for your time. So uh, we've mentioned your research companies. Is there anywhere else that people can find you? Or is that the best place? Yeah, certainly uh, millstreetresearch.com uh, is a good place to see everything. There's examples of the research and um, there's a, a weekly a report that you can subscribe to uh, that I have on there. Uh, also on Twitter and post pretty regularly there um, on that uh, Mill Street Research. You can uh, look it up there. Um, and so, yeah, so there's a lot of places to kind of get a feel for uh, what I do. Um, and uh, you can always reach out. It's a contact form if you want to uh, ask questions about the work. Perfect. I'll put that all in the description below. So Sam, thanks again. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe so you're notified when new podcasts are released. I hope you're leaving with some great value about investing, trading, and finance. See you on the next show.